0: Welcome to Pros Tinted Glasses. I'm Katie. And I'm Bailey. We are coming back at you with another Pros Tinted Classic.
1: Woohoo, I'm excited. Um, we're kind of flipping the, uh, the usual layout. What word am I thinking of? Format? Script. Something like that. Because <laughs> um, this is going to be a classic that Bailey has read that I have not.
0: Yes! Finally, it's my time to shine. Just kidding. I don't know. I I don't have as strong of feelings about this one, I feel like, as, as say Pride and Prejudice. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um I really enjoyed have we actually said the oh, title? We're we reading... haven't yet. <laughs> We're reading Brave New World by Aldous Huxley.
0: Yes. Published in nineteen thirty-two. So kind of on the later end of what's considered classics. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and I um, I had never read it, like I said, and I really I enjoyed it. I did kind of pull a Bailey, um, and I read all of it today. I finished it about 45 minutes ago.
0: Nice. I thought you had already yeah. read it.
1: Nope. Nope. I'd been meaning to and meaning to and just been putting it off. I've had a, kind of a lot going on at work the last couple of weeks, and it was only it's only an eight-hour audiobook, so it was only about two and a half hours of listening time. So I just put it away.
0: Yeah, no kidding. Uh I <laughs> didn't quite get all the way through it as much as I wanted to, but I read most of it. Um I actually only suggested recording this because I thought you'd already read it. But whatever, here we are. All's well that ends well. I say at the True. beginning of a podcast episode where we had no outline 30 seconds ago.
1: <laughs> and still basically don't. But whatever, we're going to wing it. It'll be fun. Yes. You're just here hanging out with your two friends who are never quite prepared enough for anything
0: correct she says as she stares at her open suitcase Um, i was
1: gonna bring up like have you finished packing yet but i guess that that is a no
0: no i did do the final target run so i've got all of that but i am already i do technically already have an overweight suitcase so things are well things are
1: best of luck to you
0: it's all good um brave new world a classic I actually read and liked back in the day.
1: Wow. That's big praise from Bailey.
0: Yes. I guess we should go ahead and um, put in a spoiler warning. I don't... This is one of those... We do this with every classic. Like, we're going to spoil it. This book was published forever ago. I. It's a pop culture thing. I don't think there's a spoiler. But whatever. Just don't listen if you want to read it the first time.
1: Yeah. Retweet. So I guess we'll do a, just a quick, I feel like we can just do a quick synopsis, because um, I feel like as a classic, and this one a little bit m- more than some, is less plot and more message, so I feel like hopefully the synopsis should be pretty pretty quick. So I can go ahead and do that, unless you feel called to it, Bailey.
0: I do not. Okay. Uh,
1: all right, so here we go. Um, buckle your seatbelts, I'm sure it'll be great. So Brave New World is sort of, like, a dystopian novel, um, and it opens with... They're, like, taking a, a group on a tour of this factory where um, babies are cooked. Um, Hatched. Gosh, hang on. Hatched. Yeah, I'm already forgetting all of my words. <laughs> That's what happens sometimes. Yeah, so they're at the hatchery, and so... There's this big caste system in this world, which is called, like, the the world state. And so the five castes are Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta, and Epsilon. And in Gamma, Delta, and Epsilon... Well, first of all, nobody is, like, born anymore. Like, mother, the concept of, like, motherhood or fatherhood is seen as very... Um, like, almost pornographic. Like, it's very taboo. People don't really talk about it. And so everyone is born in these hatcheries. And Gamma, Delta, and Epsilon babies are basically taken from, like, one embryo and just, like, replicated a bunch of times. And so, like, like Delta and Epsilon people are, like, basically all identical twins or, like, up to, I think they said they can do, like, 16,000 siblings from one. Yeah, that's, like, the record. Mm Mm-hmm. So, and then when you get to Alpha and Beta, which, of course, are the upper castes, like, those are individuals. But then also they're, like, raised in these hatcheries, and, like, the lower castes are, like, conditioned uh, to, like, fear books and the outside and, like, nature so that they can be more productive um, for their, like, jobs, which is to, like, produce things and consume things, basically. Um, And so it's just very weird. And then there's this guy... Bernard at the factory and he like feels kind of like an outsider. He's like, Oh, like I like producing and consume. He's an alpha plus, but he's like kind of smaller than the rest of the cast. And he's like kind of nerdier. And so he feels like an outsider and he's like, I like producing and consuming and, and all this stuff, but not as much as my peers. And I feel like an individual. And so he feels very um, kind of out of place. And he starts seeing this girl, Lenina, who, um, Is also seeing this other guy. Also, another thing. I'm really going off the rails. I thought I had a stronger grasp on this before. It's fine. It started. Anyway, another thing about the society is that they really encourage, like, sexual freedom to the point where, like, monogamy is frowned upon. um, And you should just be, like, having sex with as many people as you want. Which I found very interesting that, like, sex was not tabooed. But, like, motherhood was.
0: But yeah, anyway, that, so that's like a whole Bernard, that's like a whole thing, yeah.
1: Yeah. So Bernard like asks out Lenina basically and she eventually says yes and then they like go on a date and he kind of doesn't want to have sex with her because he's like in his feelings or whatever, but they end up doing it. And there's also this drug called Soma that like basically is like ecstasy and just makes everyone feel good. And so then uh Bernard takes her to this it's called, like, the Savage Reservation, where, I mean, they're, it's basically, like, Native Americans, right? Like, are the savages, which, not great, but we do have to contextualize this book yeah. as having been written in 1932. But basically, it's not just Native Americans, I don't think, but it's basically... No, it's,
0: um, it's just people who, like, on. still live like we do. They live outside of the, like, yeah. world state way of life. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so like the savages, quote unquote, live a very much more similar life to one that we do in in real life. But uh, the world state looks down upon that, and so they go kind of to, as like a form of entertainment to see like, oh, these people are—they're not sophisticated at all. Um, they age, and yeah, yeah, yeah. That's another thing I keep forgetting is they like don't age. They like get like blood transfusions to be young and stuff like that, but. At the Savage Reservation, they meet John, who, whose mother and father are from the World State, but they kind of ended up in the Savage Reservation. And um, his mom, in particular, which again, first of all, it's weird enough that he was actually like born to a person as opposed to hatched. Mm-hmm. And he, his mom, um, her like birth control failed, I think, is the implication. And he, like, she kind of tries to live still by the, like, tenants uh, that she was taught. And so she goes around sleeping with everybody's husbands because she thinks that's what you're supposed to do. And so the other women in the community, like, hate her and, like, beat her up. And then she's kind of grown, like, old and fat and because um, she, like, doesn't have anything to cling to or live for. And Bernard is able to deduce that John's father is actually, like, the director of of the hatchery? What is he the director? Yeah, of? the director
0: of hatcheries and conditioning, the DHC or aka the factory that like everybody works in in our story.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um Bernard and this director, Thomas, had like kind of come to odds because Bernard's a, a special little little individual guy and um the director doesn't like that and so he's basically been threatening to like send him to Iceland to do better? I don't know. But so Bernard is like, hey, we can take this guy back and humiliate the director because he has a son and, like, is a father, which is very taboo and not good. So they do that. They take John and Linda back. And then now Bernard kind of stops being the main character and John kind of becomes more the main character and it's much more about him, like, trying to integrate into this, like, society that he thinks is very weird. He also, like, John grew up reading and like reading Shakespeare in particular uh, which is just like not something that people in the world state really do Um, yeah even the the upper cast that aren't like conditioned to hate books still just don't really
0: well yeah it's like frowned upon to read it's seen as like you read only in order to like learn something and so John's Mm -hmm. only books are like one of the hatchery user guides that Linda his mom used at work when she worked in the hatchery and then Shakespeare that was given to her mm-hmm. by one of the people from the reser- the Savage Reservation.
1: Mm-hmm. So, um, John kind of struggles to integrate, but he also becomes this, like, object of fascination. Um, and people kind of like him and, and, like, are drawn to him as sort of an object of entertainment. Uh, also, Lenina has a big crush on him. And he also has a big crush on her, but he like, wants to be in a relationship with her, and she's like, no, gross, that's weird. We just have sex with everybody here. Um, And so, like, he doesn't want to have casual, meaningless sex with her, and that's the only kind of sex she's, like, willing to have. So there's some tension there. And then, um, eventually he feels more and more, like, isolated from this, like, super weird consumeristic society um and he kind of like goes and lives on his own and starts like whipping himself again which was a practice from the savage reservations but then he's seen doing this and people are like that's so weird and so they go and observe it and then like it turns into an orgy um because that's just something that the society does and he hates that um and they're like oh we're gonna go see him again tomorrow but then they they get there and he has hung himself
0: did you miss the, whole, the end of the book? Did you miss the whole part where John tried to start a revolution by throwing away the soma of a lower caste and that's how they all got exiled and why he was living alone and self flagellating?
1: I did miss that whole part, yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah, it just seemed important.
1: Yeah. Good good call. Yeah, I just skipped that whole part. Um That's totally okay. It's just a plot.
0: Prose tinted classics do a prose tinted classic summary. He <laughs>
1: Yep. That's us. So, yeah, that happens, and that's why he goes off on his own. Yes. Because he gets he gets
0: very frustrated by the fact that, like, whenever anyone is having, like, a bad day or whatever, they just, like, take Soma and have sex, and it's fine, and John feels like that is an utter lack of, like, social connection. And he grew mm-hmm. up with social connection um, with the quote-unquote savages. Um, so he just is is all over the place and basically Bernard brought him back to like serve his own ends and didn't even think about how it would affect like everybody else, including bringing Linda back who then went on a permanent Soma holiday, which in the end like killed her because you can't just stay in the Soma world forever taking ever increasingly high doses Mm -hmm. before you just die, which is like something they all accept by the way. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, which is super weird.
1: It is. It is super weird.
0: So what did you think overall? That's our attempted summary. Yeah. What did you think overall from all of that?
1: So I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I think I enjoyed the first half more than the second half. Um, And I've been trying to decide why I think that is. And I think that, I don't know, like, the introduction of the world was very interesting, and I feel like you kind of got what I consider to be the message pretty clearly, and then the second half of the book is, like, really just, like, dra- like dragging home that message again and again, and, and it gets more, like, it's, like, in a spiral, and it, like, felt like an anxiety spiral, like, the whole second half of that book, because I think that's what John is going through. Um, and, like, I got it, and I think it was effective, but I think there was, like, a subtler book to be had if like the book had continued the way the first half was which and I think that's probably putting too modern of a lens on it like I I am trying to like contextualize it as being written and and published in 1932 um but overall I I definitely did enjoy it
0: yeah it had actually been a very long time since I'd read this like I knew I read it when I was maybe in high school and like that I liked it and actually didn't get filled with rage at the thought of being forced to read it but I hadn't re I just hadn't made the time to reread it in a while and so it was interesting to go back and remember for like you say the first half of the book how fleshed out that experience feels of them like going through life and you know go staying in the hatchery and then traveling to the see the savages and the reservation and all of that um, but then it does it does just keep spiraling downward like faster and faster like it's going down the drain with the same message every time Mm -hmm.
1: yeah like i feel like the commentary in the first half of the book like we as the audience are bernard right like we're like if the commentary is like society is so frivolous that we like can't even realize that we're being like oppressed by distraction or whatever and like if we the audience are bernard um, like, trying to realize from within the society the problems that it has versus the second half where John is an outsider to the society and is coming in and being like, what the fuck is going on? Which I get. I Like, I just relate to it less. And, it, like, it just, it just starts fe- feeling like it's hitting you over the head with the point.
0: Yes, I would agree with that. It actually even to me in, like, the middle started to feel like that before mm-hmm. we really get to, to John's sort of spiral.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I Again, I, I enjoyed it the second time through also, and I also have a slightly different perspective on it now. I also remember Soma being more of a thing during my first read, and I wonder if that had to do with, like, the illicitness of, like, the this, like, happy-making dissociative drug being, like, a little taboo and in like a Midwest Catholic high school type setting.
1: Yeah. I'm really interested that you read it in the high school and like, I want to, I don't want to say this in a way that like infantilizes high schoolers. I like, I'm trying to say this in a way that like in high school I felt infantilized. Um, and like, I'm surprised that we let high schoolers read this. You know what I mean?
0: To be clear. I'm not sure that it was assigned or if I just read it. Okay. I am. I would be to...
1: extra interested if it was assigned in your Catholic high school.
0: Yeah, I don't think it was. I'm going to try to text my twin and see if she remembers because we have one set of memory between us and she has every bit of it. <laughs> um, so we'll see if she's able to answer while while we're recording and I'll let you know. But I think that I did this on my own.
1: Okay. I do believe it is taught in high schools. I don't know if it's, like, common. It's certainly not as common as, like, Gatsby or whatever. But I do feel pretty sure that it does happen places
0: yeah i think there's i mean obviously the point is there but i think there's so much going on with with high schoolers in terms of like sex and drugs and exploration that it can be the message of the novel could easily get lost in like teens learning about like just casual sex being the accepted thing especially again midwest catholic high school lens Mm -hmm. for casual sex Mm
1: -hmm.
0: so um my sister says you did that on your own i don't remember reading it (laughs) okay thank you kelly
1: for the input and for being so quick to respond
0: yes we appreciate it uh (laughs) that gives us a little more context in that i just did it on my own yeah and I-, I could definitely it, see. It makes
1: sense that the one classic book that you did read was not assigned to you. Honestly,
0: if that doesn't tell you <laughs> something about me as a person, I yeah, I don't know. Um, I also read 1984. No, um, Animal Farm. I think Animal Farm was assigned though, but I did like Animal Farm. Anyway, I'm I'm digressing a little bit. Uh, I could definitely see in my high school the actual message of. This novel getting completely derailed, uh, just because high light.
1: schoolers
0: are little shits. Yeah, horny little shits.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, I don't know it. It that part I didn't care about that part. Now as an adult, you know what I mean. And I I remember Soma as like a much more prevalent factor, and really it's not. And now my my thoughts about Soma are more in the overarching thoughts about the way detail and exactness is presented in this book where it's like, Oh, Lenina took two half gram tablets instead of mm-hmm. like it, saying she like dosed with Soma or whatever. It's a, it's like everything like that is so exact. And she had bottle green, silk acetate shorts,
1: mm-hmm. et cetera. Ooh, a really, yeah. um, a really interesting detail that I picked up on, like I picked up on, on, a little bit, like, while I was reading, but then someone on Reddit, when I was searching for, for takes, actually summed it up way better. So, someone in um, the Brave New World subreddit, which is actually, like, geared towards the TV show, which I did... I, like, briefly started the pilot of the TV show, mainly because I wanted to, like, see the hatchery, but then it didn't really, like, show it in the first 20 minutes of the pilot, or at least not, like, the... The way that it was in the book. So I stopped watching because I was out of time. But they posted rereading. They noticed something about zippers and how Huxley, like, kind of has a, like, fascination with zippers. Or, like, zippers get a lot of, um, like, screen time, if you will, in the book. And th- He, like, puts a lot of quotes. And somebody commented that, like... Well, first of all, zippers were not super, super common at this point in time, I don't think, like, in the 30s. Like, they definitely existed, but I I don't think that they were widely available on clothing. So firstly, it seemed probably to Huxley very futuristic. But the point that I thought was very interesting was that there was also pushback against zippers from some religious groups, kind of in a, why do you need easy access to your sinful, sinful body, you heathens? type of attitude. So in a hedonistic society where everyone belongs to everyone else zippers are everywhere.
0: I think that was a really cool detail. Yeah. I mean there was a section where John was like zippers these are so cool. Mm -hmm. Um, And that just didn't really stand out to me until you put it in that context that but it would be true if this person was theoretically living in like a contextualized 1930s savage reservation they presumably would be even a little more backwards and have less access to zippers and i, I do as mm-hmm. you said during your sort of summary continuing to call it like a savage reservation in new mexico when so much of the imagery and and everything associated with it was clearly just like native american first peoples mm-hmm. Is just really i don't like that um from a modern standpoint mm-hmm. it's something to to be aware of when discussing classic novels that right or wrong, they exist inside of a historical context that is something different than what we exist inside of right now.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're also thrown around terms like Octoroon and things like that, which I do not like.
0: No, I Um, felt very uncomfortable with that. mm -hmm.
1: I just, I like, I feel like there is a very interesting commentary to be had about this book and racism, I feel like I am not particularly well equipped to have that conversation. Um and I think it it would be an interesting conversation both both from a modern lens and from like a contextual lens of the thirties. Um like I said, I just don't I don't really feel prepared to have that that talk right now, but I do just kinda wanna put it out there as a content warning, if you will, for for if you're gonna read the book.
0: Yes, it unfortunately Is a product of its time, and that is a bad thing, very much so. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not something I remembered about this novel, but it would have been something I was significantly less conscious of the first time I read it. Oh, for sure. I'm also not prepared to have a conversation, nor do I think that I'm the best person to have that conversation alone with. Like, I it's Mm -hmm. suffice to say, it's not going to be comfortable, but it is what is written.
1: Mhm. Yeah, um so you kind of brought up 1984 like in passing and almost on accident. Um but I did think about 1984 a lot while I was reading this book and an- another thing that I stumbled upon while I was kind of doing my very cursory Google search for takes that I wanted to expand upon. So I'm going to read um, this. I'm actually reading it from a webcomic, but it is a quote. It's a comic that's adapted from a quote from the book called Amusing Ourselves to Death by Neil Postman, um, which it looks into, like, what happens when... um, Basically, like, it's, like, kind of heralds Brave New World as prophetic in a way and is kind of discussing that it's a nonfiction book it looks really interesting but um this is a a section of that book comparing 1984 to brave new world
0: Mm, interesting
1: so what orwell feared were those who would ban books what huxley feared was that there would be no reason to ban a book for there would be no one who would want to read one Orwell feared those who would deprive, of, to deprive us of information. Huxley feared those who would give us so much that we would be reduced to passivity and egotism. Orwell feared the truth would be concealed from us. Huxley feared, feared the truth would be drowned in a sea of irrelevance. Orwell feared we would become a captive culture. Huxley feared we would become a trivial culture, preoccupied with some equivalent of the feelies, the orgy-porgy, and the centrifugal centrifugal bumble-puppy. As Huxley remarked in Brave New World Revisited, the civil libertarians and rationalists who are ever on the alert to oppose tyranny fail to take into account man's almost infinite appetite for distractions. In 1984, people are controlled by inflicting pain— In Brave New World, people are controlled by inflicting pleasure. In short, Orwell feared that what we hate will ruin us. Huxley feared that what we love will ruin us. Which I thought was uh, accurate.
0: Yes, that does distill it down very well into the different sort of takes on these dystopian future societal commentary Mm -hmm. novels. Um, because it is true that, you know, they, the, and I think even reading Brave New World, you do get lost in the sense of like, nothing matters because you want to hear what the thing is next. And also I imagine specifically when this first came out, the futurism of it was just captivating. Mm -hmm. And so you weren't thinking about all of the, the distractions that meant no one would want to read the book or, and the things would be drowned out by everything else it because you know they're taking hover cars over to elevator squash courts which i'm still not entirely clear on what an elevator squash court is versus just like a squash court but uh do we wear like little you know it'd be fun if you wore like little uh levitating shoes and you were just like playing squash in the air but anyway um yeah it uh it would be interesting i i think the book does a very good job of sucking you into the very world and the very kind of situation that Huxley is trying to like indicate is happening in the society of the world state where you like, don't stop and think. And that's kind of what he's getting at with Bernard. And he even Bernard even says it in text, kind of like I'm too smart. I've given myself too much time to think about these things. And now I'm in a misery.
1: (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, in terms of, like, the world today, I feel like Huxley's version of a dystopia is in a lot of ways closer to the reality that we're living in um, than 1984's. And I definitely saw a lot of parallels of just consumerism culture um, and, like, the the pleasure of, of consumerism. But I also, like, I feel like we need to be careful not to be, like, to back in my day about it, because it reminds me of that. Um, this quote: Okay, the the children now love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority. They show disrespect for elders and love chatter in place of exercise. Children are now tyrants, not the servants of their household. They no longer rise when elders enter the room. They contradict their parents, chatter before company, gobble up dainties at the table, cross their legs, and tyrannize their teachers. And do you know who that quote is from, Bailey? No. Uh, Socrates in in
0: somewhere around 400 BC. Okay, so a problem that every generation has and has had. Mm-hmm.
1: And I feel like I don't want to get too, like, oh, like he was prophetic because, like, our society likes pleasures. Um, because I feel like every society likes pleasures and that we just kind of need to continually be aware of the the... Uh, threat of like indulging too far and like failing to stand up and like care about politics and activism and,
0: and people absolutely it's and, it, and it's interesting that it feels like all of a sudden we've, we've started back down a, like specifically consumerism route and that you brought it up earlier where you see parallels the line that I think of is when they're describing some of the conditioning the sleep conditioning about like oh if it tears get a new one we don't mend. Mm-hmm. We get new. New is better. And it's like we are having a conversation right now around fast fashion and things mm-hmm. like that. So it's interesting to see how, how all of that is right back here. Maybe not going back as far as Socrates, but, <laughs> you know, it is true. Well,
1: well, yeah. And definitely like, like, I don't think we as a society and I might this might be privilege and ignorance talking but like, I do not mend my clothing Right? Like, if I, if there's a tear in a piece of clothing, like, small enough, it's, like, where I could stitch it. But, like, personally, I probably wouldn't. But, like, I don't think we as a society, like, tear something and be like, oh, I'm gonna fix that. They're like, oh, we like, oh, I need a new one.
0: Um, I would only fix it if it was something really expensive or something I really, really liked that I knew there was just, like, no way I could replace.
1: Yeah. Yeah, like I have taken shoes to a cobbler on like two occasions to get soles fixed. Um, But like two, two occasions in my entire life, you know, like, yeah, I I don't like put patches on clothing. I mean, to like some extent we do, but I almost think some of it's more for fashion than necessity nowadays, like, because it's like trendy to be thrifty and to be unique more so than like that's the culture is like you just fix what you own.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm certainly never going to, like, repair a a cheap top from, like, American Eagle or something unless it's, like, the thing I go for. I'm just going to try mm-hmm. to find, like, a similar item. I might try to repair jeans, but that's only because my thighs rub together and the area between my thighs breaks long before, like, the wear mm-hmm. of the jean. Um, Reach. So, yeah, it just – we very much are – We don't fix it. And that is, that is privilege. Like, we've never had to worry about Mm -hmm. fixing our clothes, like, the minute they break. And -hmm. we've had enough clothes that we are still clothed when we lose our favorite item or whatever. Mm -hmm. But it is still generally a societal expectation that that's how you do it.
1: Yeah, like, I want to make a distinction between, like... The necessity of mending versus, like, the culture of mending, I guess, is what I'm trying to do. Because, like, obviously, if you're less fortunate and you need to really take care of the things that you own, you're going to be more inclined to do that. But I'm thinking more towards, like, back in, like, I want to say, like, the 1950s, 1960s, certainly the 1930s when this was written. Like, that is just what you did. Like, you just would mend something. um, Right. As opposed to just buying a new one.
0: And also, I think. Sorry, go ahead. Finish your thought.
1: No, I was just going to say, I think you to- you were totally right about, like, fast fashion playing a role where, like, the rise of fast fa- fast fashion kind of, like, allowed us to create this culture. And, like, now we're sort of trying to break out of it.
0: Um... Yes. Well, and I would also say, like, it's also something that I always struggle to remember with just how common it is to have, like, a huge closet full of options That even as close back as, like, the 1940s, you had not that many clothes. You know, it's not like we're talking about, like, homesteading in North Carolina in the 1700s where you'd have, like, I don't know, you know, four outfits or whatever. Like, people in the 40s had a lot more outfits, but you still didn't have, like, oh, I'm just going to run to the store to buy a new jacket because I'm leaving the country and I want a cute new jacket. Like, you would take what you had for the most part. Or you would, you know, yeah. it would be a much bigger deal. It wouldn't be like, oh, it's my lunch break. I'm going to go buy a jacket. Um, In case you're yeah, wondering, exactly. I did use my lunch break to to go buy a jacket.
1: Ooh, is it cute? Send it to me.
0: I will send it to the group <gasps> after this call because okay. I'm probably going to wear it you tonight. <laughs>
1: Yay. Yeah, I agree completely. I think that was a really good observation.
0: And I think it's, uh, you know, something like a Jane Austen novel, like Pride and Prejudice, is obviously based in, you know, her time. I, we've had this discussion before. It kind of gets into the, like, all this discussion about historical context with consumerism, I think, is important to this novel, whereas it's not as... Something like historical fashion is not an important context to consider when discussing Pride and Prejudice.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because it informs the discussion and the the meaning behind the theme in Brave New World. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I thought, I did think that it was like a remarkably prescient novel, though. Like, even things like um, the heavy use of, of helicopters, right? Like, helicopters, I looked it up. They had been invented, kind of, or at least a precursor to them had been invented in 1932. But they were certainly not used commonly like they are today um and i thought that that was very um clever of huxley to be like this is gonna be a thing
0: yes uh on the other hand i wish i could take a helicopter to work but i'm sure there would truly still be some fucking way that traffic would foil my plans so i guess whatever truly um,
1: helicopter traffic laws this is also an opportunity one of my favorite facts about helicopters so it etymologically is it has two separate parts do you know what like the two parts of helicopter are
0: well it's pter yeah and helicopter. it's not
1: pe- people people do like people think it's like heli and copter but it's actually helico and pter like pterodactyl yes it means like wings
0: i remember that specifically because of pterodactyl like i can't lie mm-hmm. I've definitely heard that before, and when you said it, I was like, "Oh yeah, it's Helico and pterodactyls." Like, <laughs> um, and yes, yeah, so I did look it up. By the way, zippers were the patent was like, um, oh god, I already scrolled past it, eighteen ninety two, and then in in the nineteen thirties, there was like a, a sales campaign for zippers on children's clothing to uh like advertise that children could be self sufficient in getting dressed because the zipper. Is uh, faster. Mm -hmm. So it really would have been. I guess by 1930. When Huxley was writing this. Like just sort of a much more up and coming thing. And it definitely would have been indicative of like the future. And I think Mm -hmm. it's very interesting. That helicopters pretty much land in that same thing. Where it's like yeah you leave work. And you go up to the roof. Mm -hmm. Which also happens. In Scott Westerfeld's Uglies. Sometimes. (laughs) if If you were special enough to have. Certain things. Like they use them all the time. If you weren't a pretty, pretty much. Pretties pretty mm-hmm. sad brain lesions. Um, Pretty sad brain lesions. Oh, God. Pretty had brain lesions that made them happy and made them not do things like read. They basically just like partied and did like uh, leisure sports all the time.
1: <gasps> brain soma.
0: Yeah. Yes, that's exactly what I was just like. Oh, hey, now <laughs> I'm curious. I'm going to have to like look at interviews and see if Scott Westerfeld has ever talked about his novels in relation to like brave new world, because that is sort of a similar uh, societal mechanism in a dystopian future novel. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Also, there are savages who live on a reservation that are studied by the scientists in both novels. Our (laughs) post-tinted classic is quickly becoming Bailey mentally comparing all of the similarities (laughs) between one of her like YA favorite novels and a classic book.
1: Uh, as it should be i mean what else are we here for
0: i don't know again i don't like i never want to do like the english class like discussing themes on like a minute detail level Mm -hmm. in these episodes so i guess this is actually more fun um
1: another so this is gonna probably seem kind of out of left field but like Part of the book, especially in the first half, especially like kind of the intro when we were kind of learning about the world, um, really reminded me of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, in how, like, because I think part of this book is definitely satire. I think it's, I don't think it's necessarily meant to be like funny, ha satire, but it is supposed to make you kind of be like, what the fuck is going on here satire? Um, and I felt very similar in the intro to the world as I did reading hitchhiker's guide where it was like everything felt so foreign and and like off but like recognizable
0: Um, i would agree i definitely took me a minute to get back into like or or to to not get back into but to get into the language and the phrases and it is very much like hitchhiker's guide where you just don't get an explanation for any of it you are just Mm -hmm. swept along and assumed you'll figure it out
1: yeah um and it, it was very, like, I found a lot of the early couple of chapters funny. Not necessarily that, like, it was funny on purpose, but just, you know, with the benefit of, like, today's cultural context, like, some of the things that they were talking about, I, like, I thought were humorous. So, yeah, I, like, and I was to the point where, like, three or four chapters in, I was like, I need to look up if this was supposed to be a comedy. And then I was like, no, I'm not going to look it up. I'm going to wait and, like, see and I like I don't think comedy is really a good word for it but certainly satire
0: Um yeah it's interesting because I feel like it isn't the social commentary being made is not nearly as like subtle as I thought I remembered that it was like it's pretty blatant exactly what he like he's saying about the current trends in society and the sort of what can happen if we if we continue on that path um and i was surprised to sort of recognize how blatant it was Mm -hmm.
1: yeah it probably seemed more subtle when you were a teenager because teenagers are dumb and their brains aren't finished
0: yeah that's fair but also i mean i think there is a lot of like subtleties to little things as well Mm -hmm. but the the overarching especially in the beginning is like not that not that subtle and it's plus there's like the shock factor a little bit of like learning that we've gotten back to a caste based society and that the cast are created by like purposefully hurting embryos to keep them like mm-hmm. physically and mentally stunted. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that's a shock factor, definitely. Oh, for sure. And like that's what he's that's what he's going for, but
1: the. Also, kind of thinking in, in context of like this was pre World War Two, and kind of the prescience of eugenics, basically. Um, worth noting, just kind of an interesting note.
0: <laughs> Definitely worth noting that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it. I, I also really enjoyed the scene setting of when, the like, controller of the the West or whatever comes to talk to the students, about how like the conditioning and all that and it was also very interesting like like i said more subtle commentary on like a nature versus nurture type Mm -hmm. thing because in brave new world they're relying heavily on nature i.e chemicals injected into the test tubes in which babies are hatched and nurture by all of this like sleep education and social conditioning and and there are some things like you know they have to when john is Waiting for his mother to die. There's like students there getting their death conditioning.
1: Mm-hmm. And he's like told off for interrupting it because he wants somebody to show some compassion to his mother.
0: Right. He wants human emotion, and and this is a a series a book without much human emotion.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I again, if much like every time we reread a book that we hadn't read in a while. It's always really interesting to see how things I read as a teenager and things I'm reading as a thirty-year-old are the same novel, but I I experiencing them very differently. And like this mm-hmm. is something, this is something I intellectually knew that I would experience differently. I like I understand growing up changes you. I've always known that, but it's still another thing to read the book and experience it, even knowing that it's going to be like that going into it. Like
1: mm-hmm. I don't know
0: feel like i'm repeating all the same words to make my point but hopefully that makes sense
1: yeah no i get it it's a lot like re-watching kids movies as you grow up and you realize that like oh obviously there are jokes that are for children but there are
0: also jokes that are for adults that oh. like
1: go over your head as a kid
0: yes absolute complete aside has absolutely nothing to do with brave new world but i gotta I get it out kind? did you watch hocus pocus 2 yet no i haven't i need <sighs> to okay you can
1: spoil it though if you want
0: i don't I- mind I'm not really going to spoil it. It's just kind of like a modern Hocus Pocus. Like the, the group of kids gets up to some hijinks and realizes like they're really friends all along all while trying to like get away from the Sanderson sisters. And, sure. Like, people are criticizing it for like not being a good movie and plot wise it's like extremely similar mm-hmm. um, in, in its base concept. And I think that people are like letting nostalgia and the fact that they first watched Hocus Pocus as a child... Color the fact that it is, uh, like, a brother and a sister and their friend getting into hijinks, trying to get away from the Sanderson sisters.
1: And also, like, I love Hocus Pocus possibly more than anyone, but, like, was it ever a good movie or was it just kind of, like, a cult classic and we remember it very fondly um, and it is nostalgic and makes us think of Spooky Season?
0: Yeah, that's exactly what I'm getting at is like I don't think Hocus Pocus 2 was objectively a good movie. Mm-hmm. But I got enjoyment out of it and I think a lot of the arguments against it being a good movie fall apart when you ask someone why they thought the first one was a good movie. But mm-hmm. I, a lot of people don't critically examine their media in the same way that we do and we don't even critically examine media very heavily. Yeah. Like we're very like light bites of media criticism.
1: Well, and also, like, we in particular, I feel like, are very good at, like, when we do get into heavy critiques, like, it doesn't really, like, lessen or change our enjoyment of something. Like, I can love something that is bad, and I do, frequently. Um, but I can still acknowledge that it's not good.
0: <laughs> I, yeah, this, I mean, we had this argument yesterday, actually, in our messages, after Katie saw a TikTok <laughs> that um, sent both of us just on a fucking mm-hmm. rage. Uh, but, yes, there is something to be said for media criticism and, and acknowledging when something is bad. And then there's also a huge thing to be said for still being allowed to enjoy the bad thing. hmm And I think Hocus Pocus falls in that, but a lot of people aren't ready for that conversation.
1: hmm Truly. Because Truly.
0: criticism of their sentimental spooky season movie is too much.
1: Mm-hmm. Which is fair. Like I can, I can see being sensitive to that on some day or another. But you know, since we're the ones saying it, you know, get over it.
0: Yeah, we're right. (laughs) We're gonna say it. Um, We're gonna say anyway. You should watch Hocus Pocus too. I, I thought it was cute. I think it's worth watching.
1: Uh, I definitely am going to. I've just, uh, I've had a lot going on at work the last couple weeks, and I just, I like, I really want to sit like take the time to, like, enjoy it and, like, have fun with it as opposed to just watching it because it's out. So I'm hoping this weekend I'll, I'll be able to find kind of some of the, the mental peace that I need to just, like, have a fun time with that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Don't rush it. I just wanted to let you know that um, all the think pieces you're seeing online are incorrect and you should watch it.
1: <laughs> That's good. One of my coworkers was, like, really upset with she thought it was terrible um, and she, like, she has two young kids and she's like, don't bother watching it. And, like, I, I love her and I I'm sure that she's probably right, but I'm still going to enjoy it.
0: Yeah. I Again, like you can find something enjoyable and it can still be bad. And like I said last night, I'm one. Of, I'm one of the first people to say like a lot of these popular like romance novels. Ugh, I'm sorry, Emily, I have to say it. <laughs> something like The Love Hypothesis. It's just not going to be for me. I know it's just not going to be for me. I don't necessarily think they're, like, insanely well-written books, but they're fun. And that's 100% okay. Like, I, and I'm never going to be mad at somebody for saying that it was fun. I only get upset when people argue that it was good because they had fun. And they refuse Mm -hmm. to see any flaws in it. And honestly, I don't see that as much with, like, the, the love hypothesis as I do with something like Sarah J Moss where it's just like people will go to bat for these books. They're objectively not good. It's okay if you find them enjoyable. But to come to me and tell me a 900-page tome with a (laughs) poorly developed world that has just the most repetitive phrasing, the most repetitive everything, like no one's edited this book, um, and telling me that that's like good writing is just not true. And that's okay. There are a lot of books I like that don't have good writing. For example, I obviously love a lot of Sanderson. And a lot of people have criticisms, valid criticisms, of Sanderson's prose type. That he's so logical and dry that it's not good prose. They're not necessarily wrong. But I still really like Sanderson novels. So anyway, I just redid my entire rant I had yesterday. Basically. Sorry. (laughs)
1: I mean, as you should. And the context of these rants is it, it was specifically a TikTok calling out anti-intellectualism, which to be clear is bad. But the way they called it out was like, oh, and I saw this other person saying that like, it's still fine to read something like just for vibes and to not have a critical eye. And no, it's not. And so they were like, they they swung anti-anti-intellectualism like way, far, way too far to the other side. And it's just like both sides of this argument are insufferable. Like, you should be able to enjoy something critically. You should also, uh, like, if that's not your thing, you should not be a dick to the people whose thing it is. And you should be able to enjoy something on the vibes. And if it's not your thing, don't be a dick to people that do enjoy things that
0: way. Right. It's not that hard. There are obviously, like, nuanced exceptions when it comes to, like, if you are harming people with your enjoyment of something. Um, But in general, just because people don't, like, critically examine books or take notes or only read novels that have, like deep societal messages in them does in in no way makes them like wrong or bad or less than, and it's infuriating. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Katie sent the message to me, like I need what I have a gut reaction and I don't know how to feel about it. So can you just watch this? And Mm -hmm i did and i was like wait a second i'm pretty sure our gut reactions are the same so i sent like this page and a half message about how much Mm -hmm. how horrible it was uh and And i was like
1: yes good excellent i wanted to make sure i wasn't being a bitch
0: yes it was really something uh (laughs) it it, like the the tiktok started out like pretty reasonable
1: (laughs) yeah which is why i felt like i was taking crazy pills because i was like nodding and nodding and then i was like what the fuck
0: yeah, we, we, went, we went really far far off the rails of, like, people are mad because people want intellectualism. Like, yeah, they are. And they're also not right. And then it was like, and so now, because people are wrong, I am also going to be wrong just as hard. Uh, and I was like, oh, my God, no, no. I just, like, let, like, it's a, neither thing has to be wrong. And I'm becoming so much more of, like, a mood reader as I, like, Work has been getting more stressful. Life has been bi- getting busier. Like I'm much more of a mood reader than I ever was before. I used to be able to sit down and just like read through something I wasn't interested in just to get it done. And I cannot do that at all now. Uh, probably from the combination of stress and everything. So I-, I have even less sympathy for people who are trying to say like, oh, we can't just be like vi- vibes readers. No, let us have like something to do. And I'm sure these same people, not all of them because this is a generalization, but some of these people turn around and be like, oh, you just like watch TV all the time. Like, why don't you try reading a book? Well, I tried reading a book and you told me the way I was reading a book was wrong. So now I'm back to watching something on TV like. (sighs) Anyway, I just I just did. Yeah, sorry. I got even angrier about it today than I did last night
1: i know it, which is fair which i also feel that i've just been trying to tamp it down
0: yeah i i brought it back up and completely derailed brave new <laughs> i tried to like bring it back to brave new world when i was saying like deeper societal commentary or whatever but then we mm-hmm. continued to get mad so <laughs> here we are very on brand for us yes
1: um the one thing the the last thing that i kind of wanted to bring up about brave new world and we can do closing thoughts um I, think, I just am excited. I think I am going to watch the show that came out in 2020 on Peacock, because it's got a really good cast. Have you heard like anything about it, or did you look any any part of it up?
0: I just googled it, did not pay attention to the cast, only paid attention to the summary.
1: Okay. Um, well, it's got uh, Alden Ehrenreich is John, and he is... He was young on Solo in the Solo movie, and he's cute. Um, okay. And then Harry Lloyd is Bernard, and... Harry Lloyd was um, Viserys in Game of Thrones. Obviously, not Viserys in House of the Dragon. Yes. Um, but so he's a very like slimy character, and I think he'll do that really well. And then um, Jessica Brown Finley is Lenina, and she was Sybil in Downton Abbey. Okay. And uh, it also has Kylie Bunbury as Lenina's friend, Franny. I don't know if you ever watched um the show pitch but she played like the first female major league baseball pitcher and it was a really cute show i really like her um and then it also has joseph morgan in it and he is, he is klaus from the vampire diaries and the originals oh. i love him so i
0: don't think i've watched any will of the probably things be you watched watching just the show
1: really yeah
0: truly get uh... cultured bailey this this shouldn't surprise anyone I guess though. You know what I Truly. mean like it shouldn't surprise anyone that I haven't watched the thing.
1: <laughs> I
0: yeah. I'm not even sure Anyway, I'm excited for it. Yeah, I mean it does sound really good. I don't have Peacock.
1: Oh. But there's like a free tier, I think. I don't yeah. know if it's available on the free tier, but I have it cuz um Psych is on it and I really like rewatching Psych.
0: That's fair. I will look. I wonder if I can like download offline. It might be a good plane
1: Ooh, oh, you limited, I believe you can.
0: Limited time offer for 20 bucks for the year. Ooh. That might not be bad. Yeah. All right, premium is 4.99 a month and plus is 9.99 a month. Watch. It. Mm-hmm. Uh you need plus in order to download offline.
1: Mhm. That's fair. I can just, I think I have, if I have plus, I'll, I can just give you my login if you want it.
0: Oh, thanks. I'll let you know. I don't have a plane, okay. I don't have a plane show picked out yet. Okay. So. Um,
1: I do, I do have pre premium, so you can have it if you want. Okay. Or, sorry, plus option. Okay. whichever one's the higher one.
0: Okay. Then plus. I already forgot yeah.
1: the order that you set them in.
0: It's okay. They're named like plus and premium, like it's impossible to tell which one hierarchy is a hierarchy there you know what i mean like yeah which one is the better one who knows maybe that's that's our societal commentary for today is that we have to stop naming things premium plus (laughs) because there is that that takes away the actual hierarchy like Mm -hmm. gosh yeah it really does so anyway i guess do we want to do a wrap-up on uh, Brave New World now that we've just absolutely derailed our own selves for, like, ten minutes?
1: <laughs> I mean, like, I feel like I would just be kind of restating things that I've said. Yeah, but that's overall, fair. Like, I do, I did really enjoy it. Um, And I thought it was, you know, remarkably modern for something written 90 years ago.
0: Yes, I will say if you dislike the sort of more... Uh, muddled's not a good word because it's not muddled it's just more difficult to read Uh, prose of like a portrait of Dorian Gray and Pride and Prejudice mm-hmm. Brave New World is going to be right up there with like modern prose levels and mm-hmm. the only thing that's going to be hard is uh the, the titles I, which I haven't even gotten into this because I just thought of it but like the just absolute disaster that everybody's like title is in this book. Mm -hmm. I I can't tell if it's social commentary or not because I'm not altogether that familiar with like the actual British title stuff, but I I have to feel like it's at least somewhat related to the, the convolution of like hierarchy and, and titles in like British society, especially in
1: 1930.
0: Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Anyway, that's a that's a side thought for another day, I guess.
1: Yeah, I agree. Those were definitely the hardest parts, but I just kind of blah blahed my way across them. Yeah, it's um, like and ignored them.
0: It's like reading a fantasy novel where you have just no fucking idea how to pronounce something, so you just like assign it a little blah blah sound in your brain, and mm-hmm. continue reading. Like, oh yes, the blah blah blah. He is in charge of the hatchery. And it's like <laughs> <laughs> the. That's exactly
1: what I was doing.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I... <laughs> We all come by it, honestly, it's just, I feel like, more often used in fantasy when it's, like, uh, a language that you don't know the pronunciation rules for. Mm -hmm.
1: Or, like, the typical, like, fantasy names that are always, like, a little bit off of English, and so you're like, yeah, I mean, sure.
0: I mean, I think I've said it before, and I'll probably say it again, like, I used to do that with Hermione. Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, because I didn't know how to say Hermione for a long time, so I just, like it was h name move on
1: yeah i was ride or die for the pronunciation hermione
0: oh my god katie Um, you used to be wrong i know but now i'm not no because we are right and we should say it pour yourself a glass of wine let's start reading in between the lines never know what we might find yeah it could be magic
1: Pro tinted Glasses is hosted by Bailey Utrecht and me, Katie Phillips. Our theme song is by Anna Voss and our logo is by Baby Truth Collection. I'm so sorry about my audio this episode. Uh, I did find my good microphone so we should be good to go from now on but if you're still here after that you're a real one so I appreciate you. Hope everybody has a great day.